Uncensored, unfiltered, unhinged. It's the Corelcast. Listen daily on your favorite streaming service. Here I come to save the day. <laughs> oh, I don't know why Mighty Mouse is on my mind this morning, but he is. Uh, it is the Crowcast. I am Corel. So very glad you're joining me on this Wednesday. So very glad I can be joining you. Uh, we're going to talk about gratitude today uh, because you should be feeling a lot of it. And we're going to tell you about that in this holiday season, how you can refocus on the gratitude in your latitude. Uh, also, have you heard about Georgia? Did you hear about Georgia? Uh, I got some disturbing news out of Georgia, and I'm going to share that with you because it's, it's, it's pretty damn disturbing, actually. Uh, and then a personal story that so many of you are probably going to relate to, ripped right from the headlines. I was just reading a story today about San Francisco. San Francisco is going to be closing uh, a place where uh, drug addicts, drug users, uh, could safely go and use drugs, uh, and they're closing that area. Now those people are going to end up back on the street, and they're going to end up back ODing, and it's just not going to be a good scenario. Uh, so we're going to talk about a little personal experience about that. Uh, but first, I want to start with the gratitude because I feel a lot of it today, and I want to explain why. Um, and it's a personal story, but I know it's one that you're going to relate to. We all have our conditions. You know, if you're over 40, you got something, unless you're very, very blessed. One of my conditions, outside of a growing aorta, is since the late my late 20s, I've had atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is not a heart defect. It is not a heart attack. It is an electrical problem with your heart, uh, with, the, with the way it receives the electrical impulses from the brains to beat. It, caused, it causes the top of the heart to go crazy with beats and the bottom to not match it. You can then clot, uh, form a blood clot, uh, and throw that blood clot and die, which is why atrial fibrillation uh, is so dangerous, you know, why they want to treat it. It's why the Apple Watch, okay, has a big touted feature that it will detect atrial fibrillation. Millions of Americans have it. It goes undetected because many don't have symptoms, but they're in it and they just don't know it. It's characterized by a very rapid heart re uh, heartbeat that then beats out of rhythm. So it's fast and it's like two beats, one beat, two beat, three beats, two beats, one beat. And it's like three beats per second, like boom, boom, boom. And it can be nonstop. It can be triggered by anything from alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, to the wind blowing from the north. Uh, they don't know what triggers it or they would stop it. Some of you may have atrial fibrillation. Some of you have what's called paroxysmal, where it just happens sometimes. And then you fix it with some medicine, pill in pocket. Uh, you take one dose of a medication and it puts it back in. And then that's it. You don't you know, take anything more until you have another event. Others have it more chronically where you take the drugs constantly to make sure it stays in rhythm. Uh, and then some have to have the surgeries, the ablations. It's not a surgery. It's a, they go through your groin and they literally use radio waves to shock, uh, to burn parts of your heart. Uh, so the electrical impulses can no longer travel over that area and mess up your heart rate. So I've been dealing with this since the twenties. When I lost all of my weight, uh, it went away, basically. I didn't need the medication for it. I wasn't in AFib, and that was that. Since then, 
it has reared its ugly head a few times. The, the most recent was in July. But yesterday I was sitting at the dining table there, just two o'clock in the afternoon, about to do research for this very show. And all of a sudden my heart sped up to 200 beats a minute. I know because I have EKGs and, and Apple Watches and a Cardia, which is a little thing that you can test your heart rate on. That's very, very fast. That's 911 fast. That's, that's fast to where if you don't get it slowed down, you're going to die. Uh, I knew immediately that I was going into AFib, and I didn't know why. And it was so disheartening. It was just like, what's happening? I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, brrr, you know, now I've got this huge pounding 200 beat a minute, and I'm dizzy and the whole thing. So I call Steve and let someone know this is going on, uh, and then I take the pill in pocket, the propafenone. Uh, I took two propafenone. The problem with that is propafenone takes anywhere from three to five hours to work. So I laid down. My heart rate stayed at 160, 130 to 160 beats a minute for five hours. I don't think any of you can really imagine what that's like unless you've had it happen to you. For those of you that have your heart speed up sometimes and you get a little woo-woo-y, like a little out of sorts, it's like, and then it goes away, that was me for five hours yesterday. So that was depressing and, you know, you're thinking of the next steps if the pills don't work, which is the ER, where they shock you. They just shocked Barry Manilow three days ago because he has atrial fibrillation. Finally, after several near-fainting experiences going to the bathroom and such, uh, because the propafenone can lower your blood pressure very low and then you're lying down and you stand up and ooh, um, as quickly as it started... It converted back to normal rhythm. Literally. I took an EKG on my watch. It was 122 beats a minute in AFib. I went pee, sat back, got back on my bed. Um, Hannah called and asked how my heart was. I said, well, I'll take an EKG right now. I just took one. It was 71 beats a minute in sinus rhythm. So the drugs kicked in and worked instantly after five hours. Five hours of being afraid of throwing a clot. Five hours of being afraid that the AFib wasn't going to stop this time. Uh, five hours of worrying about, well, I have to have an ablation. Uh, you know, all of this for five hours, and then it finally stopped. Now, today, I have post-atrial fibrillation stress disorder, meaning I am terrified that it's just going to speed up again and and the terror is really just the way that it makes you feel. AFib is not fatal, and it's not a heart attack. It can cause a stroke. Uh, and in 5% to 8% of the cases, it does cause a stroke. Uh, I'm on aspirin, daily aspirin. And when it starts, I take another aspirin. So today, I feel nothing but gratitude that I woke up in my bed and not in the hospital, that I didn't have to go to the ER last night as COVID is surging and RSV and the flu that I was here with Ember and able to get up. Yesterday, I tried to get up to feed Ember, and it was the first time in my entire life, and I mean this, that I had to stop what I was doing and go to bed. I've never had that happen in my entire life. But I got cold to the touch. I started dripping sweat. I was so dizzy. I felt like I was going to fall over. I said, I got to go lay back down. I'm told that was my blood pressure uh, because of the pills. So it's why they, these pills, they normally just give you in a hospital. They monitor you, but the, you know, for pill in pocket, you can do it at home. But it's, they've got some, you know. So today I feel grateful.
I feel grateful that I'm here. I feel grateful that it's beating normally and it's 70 beats a minute, 60 beats, whatever. My resting heart rate's 55 beats a minute. I'm grateful my heart doesn't remember that yesterday for four hours, five hours, it was racing at 160, which is my max heart rate, 160. So it's like, imagine being on a treadmill going as fast as you can go for five hours. That's what my heart did yesterday. It's scary. And I'm scared it's going to happen again, randomly, just going to happen. I have the medicine. I spoke to a cardiologist within an hour, and I had access to an ER. How blessed am I? Still doesn't mean it's a fun thing to go through. So yesterday was a rough afternoon for me, and today is kind of a rough day because I'm centered in gratitude. I feel nothing but gratitude, but the fear does creep in. You know, is it getting worse? Now it's every six months. You know, will this progress over time? You know, on and on. Of course, the unknown. I don't know any of that. But I do know I'm here. I do know you're here. I know that we all have our conditions that I deal with, and I know that at times... Those conditions can make us sad. You know, they can, we just feel like we're never going to quit them. Or that we have to stay in bed or that, you know, we have to do, and, and our total, our lives are completely disrupted. Our schedules and everything. And that depresses us. And so I, I want to say to you that, you know, my whole life I've watched people deal with AIDS and my both my parents were disabled and you know, you just sort of get through and, you, and you, you get to the other side and the new normal. And you do it either angry that it's happening or you do it with gratitude that you're getting through. So I think all of us are faced with, do I enter this situation with gratitude or do I enter it angry or mad or upset or how do I enter this situation? And I am trying I'm so trying, and I want you to try to, to come from a place of gratitude. I'm not grateful I went into AFib yesterday. I'm grateful I had medication to treat it. I'm grateful I had a cardiologist who could have seen me up until 4 o'clock. I'm grateful that there are emergency rooms here that could literally save my life if it got down to that. I am not out somewhere in some country or some place where this, none of this would be accessible to me. I was grateful that at least there was something, a way to manage it. And I'm grateful that in the future, should I need an ablation or whatever, there's a way to manage it. It's not stage four terminal cancer. I don't need a heart transplant. It's AFib. 20 million Americans have it and probably more. But it makes me grateful that I'm here with you today it makes me grateful that I can continue on with my holiday season. And to that end, I don't want to be here for the rest of the month. Can I, I'm not, it has nothing to do with you, the listener. Nothing at all. Or the viewer. It has nothing to do with you. It's that for the last year, without break, I've done three shows a week. Just period. Without break. As you can see from the count, I'm up to like 150, 160 shows this year. I'd like a three-week break. I'd like to take from now until the New Year's off. I just would. I'm not going to, but... <laughs> But I would like to. Maybe I will. I don't know if that means I lose all my Patreon subscribers. And it's just, I see the momentum building. Today in the United States, we're at 220 on the Apple podcast charts out of 2 million. We're in the top 001%. In Ireland today, we're number 143. Canada, we're one, number 183. You can go look at these charts. They're out there. The Apple News Commentary Podcast Charts. And if we're charting on Apple, we're probably charting on Spotify and other uh, outlets, Spreaker and 
you know, all of that. And here on YouTube, the video counts are going up at youtube.com forward slash really Carell. So there's momentum. And if I take three weeks off, that's nine shows. And I, you know, I don't want to miss nine shows. So it's like, oh, you're going to work right through the holidays. But oh, well, I guess there are worse things that I could do. Besides, I used to work through the holidays for other hosts. So gratitude. Gratitude that I'm here with you. Gratitude that my condition is manageable. And if you have a condition and you are managing it and it gets overwhelming sometimes, readjust your look at that. You're able to manage it. Maybe not every moment of the day, but for the most part. Speaking of gratitude, I am grateful that Rafa, Senator Warren, or uh, Senator, um, I want to say Warnock. Yeah, Warnock. Wait, there's Ossoff and Warnock. Yes, Senator Warnock. I mean, I don't live in Georgia. Uh, beat the womanizing, abortion-paying, you know, spouse-abusing, bad father, that is Herschel Walker. And there was something very alarming that came out of Georgia yesterday. I mean, like, really scary. And that is that 1.4 million people voted for Herschel Walker. You know, we got to stop acting like, well, Democrats run so, won, so that's okay. Um, No. The margins they're winning by, out of like 3 million votes, he won by like 100,000. That's the fact that half of the voters in Georgia think that Herschel Walker should be a United States senator. That's, other than being tragic, and that's a problem. And it's a problem that we just never deal with because like, okay, he won, move on. So we don't deal with the voting electorate. Today, as the Supreme Court is hearing a case that could allow Republicans to basically steal elections, and the court is basically poised to allow it. Our voting system is a mess. Half of the voters almost are still seditionist. Trump is still not tried. You know, he's been, his company's now been found guilty, but not him. And yet... We're grateful that Warnock won, and we are. But this goes back to my show last week where this is better than nothing. And that's tragic. I'm not saying he's a better than nothing senator. He's probably a great senator. But just that, that little eek of a win, that's better than nothing. I mean, he almost didn't win. And we have this rising tide of horrifying nationalism. And yet in Germany today, they arrested 25 people for planning a coup, not for committing an armed insurrection, but for planning one. The Germans went and arrested 25 people for planning a coup. In this country, we've got 25 senators and former president guilty of planning a coup and no one's arresting them. And that's why we're in the mess we're in, because we're not punishing the bad people. And that, that's, that's simply the reason we're in this mess. Because Trump is still walking free. Because Ted Cruz is still receiving a salary. Josh Howley, all these people. Matt Gates is still free. His best buddy just went to jail for decades for trafficking in young women that we know Matt Gates slept with. And because he's a white rich guy, he's still running around in Congress. If that dude were black, he'd be thrown away, locked up the key. I know I messed that up, thrown away, locked up, and the key thrown away. God, I was going too fast. But you know what I'm saying? We got a whole lot of white criminals that are still just out there being white criminals 
because they're rich and connected. And so we haven't nearly done what we need to do. And just because the, they held on to the, oh, not since FDR as a seated president held on to the Senate. That's because the alternative was literally Nazis, people who actually dine with Nazis. Like not making up the, the term Nazi anymore. They literally, the Republican Party, the GOP, has literally embraced the suspension of the Constitution and dining with Nazis. And they still get votes. That's the scary part. Trump endorsed Herschel Walker. Trump had dinner with Dick Fuentes, a Nazi. And people still went and voted for his pick for senator. Herschel Walker paid for abortion. Oh, and here's another thing. Everyone's finding out that white evangelicals are full of shit. Everyone is finding out that white evangelicals are no more Christian or godly than Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, and I, yes, I will use that analogy. White evangelicals in the South are the worst bigots, the worst blasphemers, the worst non-Christians, non-holy people to ever exist. And now they're finding out why they voted for Herschel Walker, a guy who's paid for abortions, a guy who's beaten a woman. Now, a lot of people are acting surprised. How can evangelicals vote for this guy? Honey, I've been gay for 60 years in this country. It's real easy. Evangelicals would kill black people or kill gay people if they were still allowed. And the only reason they voted for Herschel Walker is because they were told to. And they do what they're told. They're evil. Evangelicals are an evil right-wing cult of insane people who worship a unicorn. You know, someone said last night, I like that Reverend Warnock, but his speech was a bit preachy. It was a bit godlike for me. I said, he's a reverend. They said, yeah, but he should keep that stuff out of, out of speeches. And I said, well, you know, Walker was talking about vampires and werewolves. And I said, of course, isn't it the same thing? Her, Barack Obama made fun of Herschel Walker for asking if vampires or werewolves, you know, which would be better, which really existed or whatever he was saying. And he thought that was insane. Then Barack Obama will go on to talk about actual angels or a deity in heaven that's judging people. But, and he's not insane. It's all insane. I'm sorry that you guys don't see that. I'm sorry for those of you that still believe in Jesus and all of that. You're, you're so misguided. You've, been, you've, been, you know, you've just been sold a bill of goods. It's just stupid. There is no Jesus. There is no God is written. It's, it, you, know, you can't be mad at me for saying that because it's the truth. Now, is there, you know, some, are we spiritual beings? Yes. Do we have spirits? Absolutely. Do they go somewhere? I don't know. We'll wait and see. But is there someone at a gate waiting to let us in like it's an exclusive club to go see some guy sitting on a throne who can judge us? No, that, that just doesn't exist. But the angel we got last night was Raphael Warnock, uh, and he is going to go back to the Senate, giving Democrats a 51 majority in the Senate. Meanwhile, the House is busy with Hunter Biden's laptop or gearing up in January for that. That's what they're going to be concerned with, not uh, the global climate change, not any problems facing the American people. No, they want to go after Hunter Biden's laptop, which, by the way, I had an affair with. I had an affair with Hunter Biden's laptop. It was quick to start up and hasn't really shut down. 
Uh, but really, I mean, yeah, Hunter Biden's laptop is responsible for world, you know, uh, economic decline. Hunter Biden's laptop is really responsible for climate change. It really is. It's all his laptop's fault. Oh, and Hunter Biden's laptop, it, it has all the secrets that Donald Trump stole uh, out of the White House. See, they want to do all these investigations into a laptop for what might be on it. Meanwhile, their patron saint actually stole documents from the White House and brought them to Mar-a-Lago. Not on a laptop, actual boxes. He's buried, buried with his dead wife's ashes, more documents, and probably gold bars from the Saudis. That's okay with them. They want to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, okay. If you want to lose, they'll just lose in two years. Go ahead and do nothing for two years. Do go ahead. What are you going to run on in two years? Oh, we brought you Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are starving. Yeah. We'll see how that works. All right. Going back to the first topic, gratitude. But uh, well, in it, I mentioned the San Francisco uh, closing their facility for unhoused or underhoused people to go use drugs and should they OD to be saved. Um, you know, and the opiate addiction, of course, is in the news again because we haven't done anything to solve it. It's just getting worse. Um, and I, of course, as you know, took 100 milligrams of OxyContin a day when I was with Ken back in the 80s. Uh, you know, living with Ken, we literally did Valium. We did uh, bottles of wine every day, three liter bottles of Carlo Rossi, alcohol is a drug. We drank so much Jack Daniels in the 80s. Uh, I, you know, I don't remember half my, I, I lived with Ken for over a decade and I really don't remember half of it because we were drunk like three times a week. Like, and he got blackout drunk and, and I almost got blackout drunk or did get blackout drunk. So it was, you know, it was a fun time, uh, but there certainly were substances. So I'm never quick to judge about drugs. I remember telling Shaka Khan once, people who can't handle their drugs piss me off. And I have someone in my life right now who can't handle their drugs, and they're pissing me off, and I don't know what to do because anger is not the solution. I have watched a person who is capable of intelligent conversation a person who I would spend hours on the phone with every day laughing and having joy. A person who would go out of their way to do anything for anybody. One of the kindest people just ever in the world. I have watched that person become an isolated hermit who can't put together a sentence. And I'm not making that up. Who, when you're talking to them when they're high, will just repeat your words. Literally, the other night, I said some phrase like, well, are you going to the store? Go into the store. Go into the store. Go into the store. This is a guy with a high IQ, college graduate, involved in the community and everything. And suddenly, because of either personal demons, I don't know why. And I talk to the person every day. So I don't, I try to know why. Oh, the drama in their lives or the, the losses in their lives or the this in their life. I try to find a reason to explain it. But there isn't one. And now this friend is doing things that's hurting other friends. Hurt me already over my birthday week or weekend. Hurt me several times. I didn't mean to, but hurt me. Oh, yeah, no, they meant to. You see, drug users are selfish. I was selfish when I used and I When I was doing all that OxyContin, I said, well, I have to do it in order to feel able to get up and walk. And that was true. But it was selfish to involve other people in it. You know, I mean, 
when you're that high. And so this morning I awoke with great sadness because I said, you're losing that friend. You're going to lose them. You will be their friend again in years to come. But for the short term, you're going to lose them because you have told them they need rehab. You have told them you're there for them and that you will help them every step of the way. You have told them you love and support them and that you're you would do anything. You'd move heaven and earth for them. They know this. And yet they get high and high and vanish for days now. Someone I used to talk to every day. Now I have to reach every second or third day. And they're so high when we speak that we can have a 45-minute conversation where they've said probably three minutes of words because they just can't. Why do I have the conversation then? Because I miss them. I miss the conversations. I miss the person. This person has taken themselves from me without even asking. This person has taken themselves from all of their friends without even asking. There's another friend who is equally as concerned, and now this friend isn't inviting that friend to things, and that's hurting that friend's feelings, but something tells me that they're afraid of how they'll behave or that they just won't show. He's gone from extraordinarily reliable to unreliable. You just don't even know if he's going to make it or show up. Not answering phone calls, not expanding the business, Going backwards in every way, shape, or form. How do I stop that? I can't. I'm old enough to know now at 60, you cannot throw yourself in front of the train, the train wreck that is a person so deeply involved with drugs because you will get run over. They won't stop. And so now I have to resign myself to the fact that in the next, maybe by New Year's, I will not be speaking to this person very much because you can't speak to them. Yeah, It's not fun to call someone who can't engage in a conversation. It's not fun to go visit someone who doesn't show up or when they do, they show up for 30 or 45 minutes or an hour and then dart out because they got to go do drugs again. Or while they're with you, they go to the bathroom seven times. That's just, it's not fun. I must have not been fun. You know, that's why drug addicts only have drug addict friends, because if you're not a drug addict, being around someone who is on drugs is annoying. And now I'm starting to get annoyed with this person. I, I find myself shouting at them like, answer me. I just asked you a direct question. It wasn't even a hard question. Can you not speak? I mean, come on. What, why did you answer the phone if you're not going to talk into the receiver? So what do I do? I've done it all. I've asked that they go to rehab. I've, I've said that I will support them. I've asked them to, to come to Vegas for a month and I will take care of them. I've asked, I've asked everything that I could ask in a kind way, in an angry way, every way possible. And yet this person every day chooses drugs over his friends. So at what point do his friends say, well then, choose drugs. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. And it's sad. I cry about it. Literally, I cry about it. This is going to be a hard loss. I mean hard. One that I just never expected. Never expected this person to fall in with a drug crowd. And obviously, he's fallen in with a drug crowd. He's getting these drugs from somewhere. He even found a way to get them up here. Which in Vegas probably isn't hard or broad enough. And so what do you do when someone you love 
is being lost to addiction, alcohol, gambling, drugs. What, what do you do when they don't see the problem? When they're like, no, I can handle it. No, it's fine. No, you're just blowing this out of proportion. And when he's sober, that's what he says. I've got him to admit while high that his behavior is unacceptable. I've got him to admit that it's hurtful and all of that, but doesn't matter. Just keeps it up. Do you stand and watch someone that's so vibrant and so wonderful? Do you stand by and watch them self-destruct? Isn't that just too painful for you, the friend, to just stand there and watch? The, because you can't stop them. I can't stop him. I can't make him not want to do drugs. And the problem I'm facing is the problem America is facing with so many loved ones. How do we reverse this trend? If I find out, I'll let you know. I am Carell. Be who you want to be, so I'm going to help you, buddy. Get the Corel Cast app free at the app store of your choice now.